Oh, we didn't sing Defender yet. Oh, we can end with it. It's still time. There's young. Who likes Defender? I like Defender. Um, so we're going to just roll into our Dwell Richly session. This is a time where... Um, can you hear me there, okay? Yep. Cool. So this is a time where we share with you and you guys get to share with the elders and get to ask questions and, and also not just ask questions, but you know, might have insights yourself. You might even want to share and confess and uh, things like that. Don't have to, of course, but that is all part of our life together. So I guess I'll just start off with one of the most obvious questions that could come out of it. And again, it's a, it's a more of a practical, earthy, spiritual question, if that was possible. Have you ever felt that you've grieved the Holy Spirit and what did it look like? Um, the answer is many times, and probably almost most days at times. So I think some, one of the things we fail to realise, I think, is the manifest ways, the many ways in which we can grieve God. And I just want to give a quick human illustration, first of all. And as parents, it's very common for you to make provision for your children in some way, and then to see them... Uh, maybe not take up that provision or to even trample on that provision. And in the same way, God, I think, gives us such an, an, an amazing provision to live a life that is worthy of his calling each day. And for every time that we cease to take, not resist that uh, opportunity to, to live according to the way he has called us and also using the means that he's uh, provided for us to, to live that way, we grieve him. Um, sometimes it's just in a small way, just in failing to do something that we could have done to be a blessing to another person. Uh, that's probably one of the major ways. We can just say, often rationalise it away and just say, oh, I just feel, felt tired or maybe it wasn't God that was calling me to bless that person or to say, uh, to deliver a kind word or an encouragement to them and you just let that pass and say, well, maybe next time... Um, I think that's a grief to the Holy Spirit. So the shorter answer is, I think, that there are many, many times in which we grieve the Holy Spirit and I wouldn't like to enumerate them because it would be uh, too long for us. And it might be discouraging in the, in the long term too because there is that great opportunity to, to make yesterday yesterday and today today and to purpose in our hearts to, to not grieve him at every opportunity. Yeah, I agree with that. It's probably a daily occurrence for me, in all honesty. You know, the times that we respond harshly to, to some spoken words to us, it might be in the family, it might be at work, uh, complaining. I have a daily complaint about the dogs next door and say, Lord, why, how, long, how much longer do we have to put up with this? Um, Lord, why have you got me in this situation? It's boring. Lord, you know I can do much more, but why do you have me there? Or why is, you know, there's comments going around at work, why haven't spoken up? And you know you should. Um, you can think of lots and lots of things, and um, we know better. That's the sad part, is we know better. We've heard the scriptures over and over and over again. And I think a lot of it comes down, we don't trust mm. God. Mm. We're too self-focused and we don't believe that God can mm. use us. Mm. I think, as 
as I was listening to you, it just sort of sparked in my mind. I wish I'd put it in the sermon now. Is that, you know, you know, this idea of not grieving the Holy Spirit is a deeply relational term. It's a, it's so I think about you know my wife. She's the person I love the most in the world, and often as a part of our relationship, I can hurt her and she can hurt me. And when you think about it that way, again, it's amazing to me that God has set up the relationship of Himself with His people that He can be hurt. Um, and but it is part of the relationship. It's a natural part of it. If he couldn't be hurt, then it wouldn't be a true relationship. Um, and yet he sovereignly has stooped low to allow that to happen, or it's just part of who he is, you know. So I, because I was one of the questions I had in my head was like, well, what does that look like grieving him every single day? And it seems to be a part of that relationship. But then I wanted to go further and go. Paul is actually saying, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, just like he would say to me, do not hurt my wife, because when I hurt her, there are consequences. Uh, to the relationship and so forth for a time and yet God gives more grace um, that's part of the relationship too is that resilience that God has that he doesn't just go right that's it gone you know it's amazing really um, I think that's very cool but did anyone want to speak into that or any questions just from that general question of grieving the spirit of God Kathy's ready with the microphone that's alright if you don't but Feel free to jump in. Sorry, Gabe. Oh, you're just—I thought you were about to put in. No, sorry. Um, I guess for me, yeah. In fact, I might leave that one for now. Um, what would the most, what would be the most common grief of the spirit in 21st century church? And obviously, I'm asking this in a pointed way because I have my own idea. But I kind of believe collectively, culturally, in a church tribe, if you like, we can get a shared set of values and sometimes a shared negativity or whatever towards uh, other believers. Um, yeah, what, what do you think would be one of the most common ailments? Each age probably has its own temptations and also has a similar temptations, but what would be one of the most common griefs of the spirit in this 21st century church in the Western culture? We don't know much about Eastern culture, but the Western culture. I just want to pick up on one aspect of that, and I just think it is that uh, an outlook of defeatedness about we're just hopeless. I mean, there is a sense in which we have to be hopeless to be able to be helped, but there is a sense of just being constantly feeling as though we're defeated and we're, we're just not living a life. And, and the grief to, to the Holy Spirit is that he has, as I've said before, he has give, made provision for us to live a, a life that is pleasing to him, and if we just kind of constantly saying, well, it's just too hard. Mm. We're kind of saying, well, we, you, you've given us everything, but we're not going to worry about that. We're going to try and do it in our own strength. Mm. So that's that's one, and that's universal to all times, I think, because even the Israelites in the desert, they were given all the provision mm. to, to, but if they just kept on turning away. I don't think that's something peculiar to the 21st century, but it is uh, something that takes through all generations. Can I just ask you, look, I really feel strongly in my spirit that that is the number one thing. I actually had tribalism and all this other stuff, but um, I kind of, I think that's one, yeah, that would have to be in the top five of why we don't flourish in the spirit. It's this kind of learned helplessness. And even that, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, I know I'm going to grieve him again, so what's the, what's, what's the point? And, you know, I've tried many times, but I just, again, <clears throat> God gives us these relationships for understanding. So if I continually come home and kick Kerry in the guts and go, 
Babe, I'm sorry. I am deeply sorry. I, like, I got tears. I got, I'm on my knees. Like everything roses, everything comes out. And she goes, you're forgiven. I go, great. Okay. Tomorrow, but tomorrow, babe, I just want you to know that I'm probably going to do it again because it's just the way I am. So I come home the next day and she's probably got the chainsaw out ready to defend herself. Oh, you don't know how to start it, that's right. You can start the lawnmower though. But you know what I'm saying? Like if I came home every day, kicked her in the guts and then asked for repentance, that is not healthy marriage relationship. And there's nothing in the Bible that says you can just keep on doing that. And I'm not being a perfectionist like uh, John Wesley or whatever, but I'm saying we've got to do better than just, oh, well, kicked you in the guts again, uh, grieved you again. And I think, I'm so glad you brought that up, Andy, because I think that is the number one thing. And I just want that hold on our hearts broken because it is a stronghold that causes all of our relationships here to be tarnished and, and damaged. Um, anyway, that's just what I was thinking, so... I think along with that is that a lot of Christians don't know who they are in Christ. How many times I've heard in, in different churches prayers that I'm wretched. Mm. You know, it's like it's like they don't know that they're forgiven. You know, there's still the old nature's there, but God says that we're given a new heart. We're a new creature in Christ. Uh oh. Yeah, we're a new creature in Christ, and we don't walk in that newness. Um, it's like there's a lack of belief, a lack of faith in God. Sure, we still sin, but our nature is not sin. If you've given your heart to the Lord, you're a new creature, and we don't walk in that. So what, what, what advice would you give to this little church? Like, How can we break out of that? We're going to start walking by faith, you know, not by sight. Um, pray and believe, you know, it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy, it's hard. But you've got to take a step, small steps. And, um, and encourage one another to believe, you know, encourage one another that God's got your back. You know, we all worry, we're all fearful. But in essence, you're saying, when you're in that state, I don't believe God is good. You're saying to God, I don't believe you can handle my situation. And we need to turn that thinking around. We need to renew our, our minds and start believing that God will do what he says he will do. And I think, again, I would add to that, that in those moments where you go, well, I just can't do it, or I've stuffed up again, or whatever, is to realize that we can also say not only that God is not good, but we say that God is small. God is irrelevant. It's like the Israelites on the border of the promised land. Those giants in there are massive. That's not what they're really saying. What they're saying is our God is too small for those giants in the land. And um, it is a matter of embracing, filling your mind with the things of God. Finally, my brothers, what is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, knowing who God is so that we can know who we are. You know, I really hope that in my preaching you guys see that I constantly flow from how crap we are to how wonderful God is that he deals with us in our crapness and then how then we should be uh, flowing and changing like him as well always showing the heroics of God and what he's done for us I'm always trying to bring and how he loves us now, even that that's what makes him more magnificent to me um, 
Oh, good. Go, Kathy. Yeah. <laughs> super quick. Um, I just wanted to know how you guys model repentance in your life. Um, as we were talking about that, there seems to be this um, idea of how people repent. Some people dwell on it for too long, but then there's this other extreme of where, which I think is more common in young people, which might sound a bit contrary to what you guys were saying, but we don't want to be... We don't want the light shone on us for too long. We want to deal with it. Kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know... You know, I know I'm in trouble for doing this, but we've dealt with it, and that's like in a 10-second conversation, but you don't really end up dealing with it. And then you look at, say, the law system where someone breaks the law, they get punished for a certain amount of time, you know, in an earthly sense. Yeah. And yet, when we come to God, I find myself feeling like almost I've got to feel bad about myself for a certain amount of time to sort of make that yeah. true repentance. And yet, yeah. That, that sounds stupid, mm. but that's just no, how no. I, I react with things like that. And so I go, if I just give it to God and sort of, you know, in mm. if, if like if I say if I swore at work or something like that, and then I just mm. turned it back to God and said, no, I'm forgiven. But I'm sort of thinking to myself, have I really dealt with that? Like yeah, yeah. I've turned it around really quickly, but yeah. have I actually really felt? grieved about what I've done, or am I just saying, I'm in Christ, yeah. and I'm moving on, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, how do you guys do that in your life, in, mm. so that the sin actually gets dealt with, and you're not feeling crap all the time, but then you're actually, you're actually looking back and going, wow, I've actually seen fruit of my repentance, yeah. not just, yeah. do, you, do you see the two tensions that i got yeah, there, yeah. like you can yeah, go no, on for too long thinking, yeah. you know, I'm going to keep hammering myself on the back for how bad I am, yeah. and then, then repent, yeah. But then yeah. the other's true of like just being too willy-nilly with it, yeah, that you yeah. never change. Uh, that's a big question, but I think uh, one of the things that we can do to deal with that more effectively is to, it's to live in an open community. What I mean by that is that not only you just confess before God, but you confess with your spouse or with your twos and threes or whatever else. And there, therefore, there is a form of accountability there and a form of a means of grace also for those who are close to you and say, honey, I did swear at, uh, you know, at work today, can you pray for me? I'm having difficulty with this. So there's an accountability within a, a community, a safe community. So I think that's very important to do. And for those people in that little community to have the courage given by God to actually uh, confront those things and say, it's, and not sort of be protective of that relationship by just disregarding it and saying, oh, don't, you know, don't tell us about those bad things, we don't want to know. So I think that's that's the power of living in a, a community in which there's open communication, whether it's just with your spouse or with your family or with um, your twos and threes, whoever. Because that, that, that brings an accountability and a, and a consequence to them. But you don't have to keep beating yourself up. I think there's a whole religious system that's built on the, the idea that you've got to beat yourself up. And we know it's the Roman system which t tells you you've got to say so many Hail Marys and do all this sort of stuff. So that's the sense in which you're saying to God also that you're not, you're not big enough to forgive me if you felt as though you've got to do these actual, uh, what do you call it? You know, penance. Penance for those sort of things. But the, yeah, I think the idea of being in honest before one another and um, confess your sins be, uh, one to another it says in James and I think that's a very important thing you don't do it necessarily public in a group like this but you do it with 
one or two other people who you trust closely and they can bring you encouragement and you can bring them encouragement too. Was it you that, sorry, yeah, just um, just before Barb talks, you had a great definition of repentance. Was it you? <laughs> you sure? Well, I'll, I'll refer it to you, but <laughs> um, so it's one, realising that you've done something wrong, which relationally is going to hurt someone. Two, you say sorry, you confess that you're sorry, and then three, the part that often doesn't occur, you make it right. So you make it right. So when when Peter first in his grand sermon and three, I think it's three thousand people come, he says, repent and believe. So there's the repent. I'm sorry, I'm turning around. Now believe. Believe what? Well, one, believe that Jesus has paid for my sin. Two, believe that he is sending his spirit now to enable me to make things right. And you see that with Zacchaeus even before the Holy Spirit comes, you know. Here, now I sell all my stuff and give it all back. There's no even sermon preached by Jesus there, but he makes it right. And I think in that making it right, that is probably the proportionate response of how long it's going to take. And, you know, my wife, if I, if I keep hurting her, then... I'm not making it right. It might be, I might have a porn problem. I'd be very surprised if people in here don't have a porn problem. Well, you could say sorry to your wife for that sense of visual betrayal, but until you get serious and then say, look, I want to make this right, how can I make it right? You know, Jesus' principle is cut off your hand. If it's causing you to sin, well, get rid of the computer, get rid of the screen, because you love your wife, not because, uh, and, you, and you're showing that you love your wife more than you love porn. Like, you know, that's, that's to me, that might then be an ongoing thing, an ongoing battle for a man. And I just use that as an example, but um, mate, you've got to make it right. And I think, again, to be spirit-led in that is like, well, Lord, am I just being flippant with my sorry? Show me. Help me. Sorry, Bob, go ahead. Oh. I just want to end with that. When you have genuine repentance, you know, your life is showing a change. <coughs> In lifestyle the enemy will try to make you feel guilty of your past and don't dwell on the guilt you have been forgiven you walk in that forgiveness because the enemy is out there trying to destroy you trying to bring you down and you know that the Lord loves you he's given you he says in his word he has there's no condemnation coming from the Lord it's from the enemy yeah and that's awesome you see that in the hindsides. Raji, what happens if someone has stuffed something up and they put their head down while the play's still going? It just They then stuff it up even worse because they've got their head down, the ball bounces around, and then the head goes even further down. You know, like, that's exactly where Satan wants you. Your head down, feeling sorry for yourself. Meanwhile, the play goes on and you muck it up even more. So, anyway, Bob, you wanted to say something? Um, I, I think it helps to your dad, like... It helps to think of parenting when one of the children does something really naughty, really deliberately naughty, and they just flip it, and you say, do you apologize for that? And they just say, oh, sorry, yeah. move on. Um, and, and you just look at them, and you know they're not really sorry. There's a real need for repentance, before God, when we, when we stumble and trip, and I think it helps my children feel deeply apologetic when they see tears in my eyes, especially if they're sinful with me, because that's something that really hurt me. Um, so if we have an awareness of how we really grieve God and that is part, um, that can 
Keep our heart soft. We have that quick, it's quick. Oh, what is it? A short? Short account, yeah. So we can sincerely, really be sorry before the Lord and, and repent and apologize. And you know, when you when when one of my children has done something that's really hurt me and they see that and they're convicted of it and they run to me and hug me and say, I'm so sorry. Oh, that love just wells up in my heart to embrace them and say, oh, it's okay. And you can see that guilt and fear and whatever just fall off the child and then run and play and they're free. And I think that's how God wants us to be. Um, free from that way downness of, oh, woe is me. You know what I mean? Um, oh, Kathy will pass it on again. Yeah. You're doing a good job there, Kathy. Um, in relation to that, I just want to read a scripture which I think ties that up. Thank you. Um, so it's 2 Corinthians 7 8, and it's. Um, a letter written to the church about an issue that he's um, dealing with the church. It says, so even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that you, that that the letter grieved you, but only for a little while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. The godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Very timely. Thanks, Eve, Sharon. Um, Evie. Um, yeah, just about repentance. I think it's easy to look down and... Um, yeah, it's, it's, I find it really easy to feel sorry for myself and often I'm feeling really sorry if I've done something bad and I feel, yeah, I realise that I'm feeling sorry for myself and not sorry for God and I think because the root of sin, like Adrian said so many times, is unlove and it's unfaith. When we're sinning, I think we need to look at the heart of that and, yeah, look up and look at Jesus. Um, and, yeah, just ask him to, um, to work in our hearts and... Um, yeah, to show us more clearly who he is um, and yeah, his holiness will reveal our sin to us as well. It's not like we're just going to be rejoicing all the time, but there's like a sense of, um, yeah, you're feeling, you're feeling sorry for God and you're feeling um, also, yeah, because you know his holiness, but you also know his love for you, you're just, yeah, I think that's true repentance when you're just looking up. Yeah. So it was really roundly fair. No, I, I really liked what you're saying and it's like, I don't know if you've known people that you really respected perhaps when you were younger and they were older and you know some people that you kind of annoy or sin against maybe and it's almost like you kind of like it it's like yeah show them a thing or two but then there are those people that you really respect and love and they don't even get angry at you they just go it's just you can just tell it i'm just disappointed and because you love them and respect them so much you're like oh all that really hurt you know and that does bring you to, a, I think, a godly sense of repentance with the ultimate Father. And also just picked up what Evie was saying. Often in the chaos and the white noise of a sin, sinful nature moment, because we are um, inclined towards justification and so forth, often the questions 
where's the faith, where's the love, where's the hope, can often be real piercing word of God type questions because they do, I think, get to the heart of what's going on. Where's the faith, where's the hope, where's the love in this moment, whatever's happening. So anyway, that that's something that might be helpful. Um, yeah, this is really good. Did anyone else have any comments? Oh, well. No, it's good. Uh, firstly, sorry if we uh, kept anyone up with the uh, <laughs> competitive game of risk. Well, yeah, Kerry yeah. was pretty feisty. Um, hope we didn't deprive you of too much. No, nah, you didn't. You didn't know. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it's fine. I like risk. I was going to. I wanted to join you, but I was too tired. I should have joined you. I might as well. Have. <laughs> and I would have beaten you, but no. That was just a demonstration of the simple nature. Just in. Well, I'm pretty good, but yeah, all right. <laughs> Just thinking of something you said earlier, Adrian, um, about seeking um, the gifts of the Spirit mm. and like about, I guess, you know, seeing the <coughs> manifestation of that in mm. miracles and um, people's lives being changed and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, I just thought it's interesting, like, that we can see these things still happen quite frequently in, in other countries like China. Mm. Um, like Alex came and spoke a few yeah. weeks ago. Um, yeah, I thought that was really inspiring. Mm. I'm just wondering, like, I know there's a lot of um, Christians that are living for God the best they can in this country mm. and honouring him in, in small ways, like you said. Yeah. Um, but why do you guys think it is that we don't see more of those um, physical manifestations? And mm. is that something that you think should change or mm. is it something we should be doing, you know? Yeah, um, I might let each of you guys answer as well, but just really quickly for me, I'm not really sure why we don't see such things. People, some people say a lack of faith, you know, they cite Jesus going into his hometown, not being able to perform any miracles. I'm not too sure about that because all through history, if you study revivals, you see it just seems to be a massive move of God that inspires people first to pray and to seek and to get em you know, emptied and, 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 and then... Yeah, these amazing revivals break out, often with signs and wonders and miracles and healing. I have seen, on a smaller scale, people heal, um, I guess more miraculous type things, but to that scale in China, I don't, I don't really know why, but I'm almost hopeful that could happen again. Um, I don't deliberately seek it. I definitely seek spiritual gifts, um, but I don't know, really. What do you think, Ian? Or Rick, did you want to get through? I know some of the churches I've been involved in over the years, <laughs> They don't believe. They actually preach against it. Yeah. If they stopped at the the apostles, Book of Acts, it's not for the today's church, and I take exception to that because, like Adrian, I have seen it, and I've experienced it a little bit myself. I know the gifts are real, but I don't seek gifts for for the sake of the experience. Um, they are meant to build up the body of Christ and to demonstrate God's power in people. But we need to seek God himself. We need to seek Christ first. And if you yield yourself to the Lord, I mean, not just a quick prayer here or there. I mean, in my own life, it was a case of praying a lot. I mean, day after day with other people. And the Lord would start to reveal himself in special ways through circumstances or whatever i mean i've never shared this with the, with people before but we're in a group not like not a bit like this it was a bible study that we went to in 
um, in Sydney, and people were sitting around the the edge of the, the room, and I leaned over to the person next to me and I said, I can see Jesus right there in our midst. And I can't explain it, not with my natural eyes, but I could see an image of him, I don't know how else to say it, spiritualized. Yeah. The only time I've ever seen it, or ever happened to me, but it was real. And so there's a lot more to this spiritual life than what we're taught, what we've experienced. So a lot of it comes down to unbelief. A lot of us believe that it doesn't happen anymore. The only thing I would like to add to that is that, and picking up on what Rick says, there's, a, there's perhaps a bit too much focus on the gift rather than the giver at times. And I think there is a sense in which um, the focus on the gifts may actually be counterproductive to the point that people, all they're interested is just something that's spectacular and it won't draw them any closer to God and God is not interested. God is a jealous God and he will only, uh, he will do these things to bring people to himself and that's very, very plain and to accomplish his purposes. And if his purposes aren't going to be accomplished, I don't think he's all that interested. I, I, would, I would really quickly just say that in this secularised consumerist society, we, signs and wonders, healings would be a very powerful testimony. So... Um, that's yeah. I think Raji wants to say something there, Kathy. Thank you. Is it appropriate to ask another question? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, whatever. Because I'm, I'm sort of following on from yeah. Um, verse I've been grappling with a lot lately, and I was talking to BJ about it yesterday, um, is just the great commandment love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And the second like is love your neighbor like yourself. So I think this is related to grieving the Holy Spirit, and I think I've been convicted about it because for a long, long time, my faith has been very intellectual. Mm -hmm. I find it easy to love God with my mind and to be convinced of something, and I'll hang on to it doggedly, like it's, it's a truth that I can hang on to and say, this is true, I know it's true, because God said it is, just like I used to do extreme climbing and hang off the side of the mountain, just hang on until your fingers are about to break, because it's true. Mm -hmm. That's the only way you'll survive. Mm -hmm. But I don't do that with my heart. Yeah. I don't love God with my heart. I want to um, take away just about anything from me and it won't bother me much, but then hurt my family, have us lose a baby, have us have a high-risk pregnancy, and I start to go completely deceived with God. I just feel like, you're betraying me, why aren't you here, what's going on, all these kind of questions come up. Yet I know it's true, and I think it grieves the Holy Spirit that I don't love him in all of me, and I don't give him my heart as well. So my question to you guys is, how do you allow the Holy Spirit to convict your heart of what your head already is convinced of. So, I mean, yeah, I'm sure that over time, because I know my wife is really good at this, she loves God with all her heart, and sometimes she doesn't care about her mind. <laughs> so I think I've been learning a lot from the women. Um, and maybe this is harder for men, but I really struggle in times of trial where my family is threatened or whatever. To really believe that God's true and His Holy Spirit dwells in me, because I just don't mm. feel it mm. in my heart. Yeah, that's an awesome question, and that's a really heavy question, and maybe you guys can answer. 
Um, yeah, maybe like you guys answer. Daniel, you're halfway there already. Because you've confessed with your mouth that you do feel that you don't have that feeling in the heart. You know that. You know that. And in and recognizing that God, it's God that's put that in you. That's not that's not your intellect. That's what, so God's on your case. So you. That's I can't even answer that part of the question. Rick's going to answer the next part. <laughs> Daniel, we're told that we're to have a childlike faith. And you can't reason through different things that, you can't rely on your mind. You know, you can try to sit there and analyze it and come up with this solution, that solution, or question God, why did this happen or that happen? You just simply have to let go and take a step of faith. You pray and then you leave it to God. Don't dwell on it. But keep your eyes on Christ. It's not easy when the world is falling around, uh, around about you, it's falling apart. I mean, I've had a lot of trauma in my life, but I knew there was always <clears throat> God there to look after me. And when I find that I pick it up, pick the issue up, and try to solve it myself, it's worse. I get all upset inside. I worry even more. I fear even more. But when I let it go, and just get on with life and let that issue be taken up with the Lord. I just say to him, Lord, I bring it before you. You work it out because I have no idea how to do it. And trust. All you can do is take one step at a time. Keep trusting. And I just wanted to say as well that part of, I think, part of the long-term goal of loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, it is that fullness thing. And I kind of think that, you know, for you, Rajee, and for all of us, that there is a training plan. And I think Sarah coming into your life was part of that training plan. Like you even just said it yourself. Um, you're learning from her. And I'm sure she's learning from you as well. And that's the beauty of marriage. But I also think even as a single person, God is doing a really cool work to bring us into that place where our mind, our heart, our soul are all proportionate and matched in our love. And, and you know, you think about the disciples, even with the, the bread story a few, a few months ago in John, you know, like they, Jesus says, well, you feed them. Like they're believing kind of, sort of, but they're on this journey of faith. So his next kind of part of the curriculum is that he does this amazing miracle. Then he puts them in the boat, knowing that they're going to, go straight into a storm they're going to row into a storm he knows that and he knows that they're true the true inner part now the part under pressure is going to be exposed and then he's going to come for them in the storm that's our god that's what he does I'd much rather put you in a storm than leave you as you are um so you know all the other stuff with babies and things i just trust that god loves that new life more than you ever could and whatever happens from here it's going to be for the best and to just trust him means to trust the God that you know so well intellectually. You, you read the Bible once a year, don't you? Pretty much. Yeah. You know, you probably know it. The just whole a, Bible. Yeah, the whole Bible. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. <laughs> it's not that big of a book. But to know in your heart, that's the thing. And, and that's what he'll teach. And I just trust him to do that. I just, I, get, I have the same problem oftentimes. And I just go, Lord, well, you, you, need, to, you need to come and change that. 
guy, Carrie. Uh, I hate using the microphone, but uh, to me, the image was what you said as well, Adrian. Uh, it's about the relationship, and like any relationship, it's a process of growing and trusting. I also think, too, maybe what we learn, we learn positive things from our relationships here on Earth, but sometimes some of our the negative things is learnt through previous relationships as well. And maybe that's a process of letting go of those, those negative things or those um, things that have caused us to distrust. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the most attacked concepts, beautiful concepts of God in society is father. They did a research research into prisoners about what they thought of their mum and what they thought of their dad and they universally came back with in the main loving their mum and very appreciative of their mum and hating their dad. And father is one of the most attacked concepts in in society and I think there's a reason for that. I think it's a, an attack by Satan to destroy the very concept. So you don't even have a yardstick of what a good father looks like. And oftentimes I think that can be at the core of our, our distrust, I guess. And But then again, he loves us, so he'll just prove himself to us. You just read through the Bible and you'll see him proving himself over and over again. So yeah, that's really good. Thanks, Gary. Well, oh, Nadine, we might finish off shortly so we can just pray for each other in the smaller groups, but go ahead, Nadine. Um, I've just got one more question. Um, Abby loves you, so why? Right. <laughs> um, because you've always looked after her, you've always been there, you've always provided for her, you've always, you're there, you're just there, right? Um, if you can kind of watch what she does towards you, how she responds towards you, and kind of put yourself in her shoes and think about that and the fact that God is even more than you. He can always protect, always provide, always be there. Um, that might kind of help your heart a little bit. Just before we go to pray, um, the question I had through the sermon was, what does it look like to pray in the spirit? Mm. You go. <laughs> so I think theologically when we're in Christ, we're in the spirit, we're in oneness with him. And I believe that he, uh, we know that he intercedes for us with words that, or, that we can't, or utterings that we can't understand. For me, it's just very practically. So okay, as I pray now, I would like to be led by spirit. And I don't know if I get it right every time, but I just trust that he'll sort of take care of it. So that's just the practical aspect of it. That for me is praying in the spirit, realising that the Lord would like to lead us in our prayers because then we'll be led in his sovereign kind of will. So yeah, that, that's all it means for me. Maybe it means more theologically something to maybe explore, but did you guys want to add anything? Just your whole being. Yeah, oh, yeah. And yeah, I think as well, because that is coming from the heart. So prayers from the heart, definitely not ritualistic, blah, blah, blah prayers. Um, that would definitely be part of praying in the spirit. Maybe we could do a whole sermon on praying in the spirit. Mm. Yeah, series. Um, 
let's be great. I might just pray as we go into prayers. If you need to go or you need to go take care of bits and pieces, that's fine. But I'm just encouraging you to break up into smaller groups of fours hey, and fives. I just and, want to oh, sorry. share one story that summarizes this. To summarize what we've been talking about this morning, I want to share what happened to one of the churches, or the church I grew up in. And like what we, very like what we have here, is a group of people from different backgrounds, different theological backgrounds, denominational churches, in a small country town. And it was known for its giving. It was the second highest uh, giving church in the state of New South Wales for its denomination. We had about 120 people uh, out of a town of about 2,000. I don't know, I think we had 50 kids in the Sunday school at one point. It was known for all the wrong reasons. We had sent out three missionaries from the church. Um, we had missionary conventions and so forth. It was very well known. And over the years, people became dissatisfied. Nadie and I even tried staying home at one point because we felt like we were stuck in a rut spiritually. We stayed home, we stayed away from the fellowship for several weeks or a couple months. Nobody really even noticed that we weren't there. And we came to the conclusion that that's not the answer. And we started looking outside the church. We went to conferences. We met with people that were on fire with the Lord. And we tried a couple of charismatic churches, but they didn't, didn't feel right. And we went back to the church and there was a group of us that were seeking the deeper life. We tried to share that with people in the church. And one lady showed me a vision that she shared with me a vision that she had. And it was a bucket tipped over, full of God's blessings, about ready to be tipped over. And she said, the church leadership has a decision to make. If they'll continue to seek him and go deeper, the blessings will flow. If not, those blessings will be removed. Well, the church didn't go any deeper. They just stayed with the status quo of their denomination. And one by one, God removed those people that wanted to go deeper. It took two, three years, four years, maybe a bit longer. But they just, they moved away, moved out of town. You know what's happened since? We left, we were one of the families that left eventually, one of the last ones. That church, had two affairs. One of the elders, one of the ladies, a good friend of ours, had an affair. Another one had an affair. Another minister came in and preached a, a different gospel. A lot of people left. That church today is a shadow of what it was. It's only a handful of people there. And I'm telling you, once you know the truth, don't turn your back on it. Keep pursuing God. Keep moving. Don't be satisfied where you're at. God's bigger than the, than what we can imagine. It's definitely a thing bigger than we can imagine, immeasurably more. And you know, I want I want to go deeper. I want the church to go deeper. So I might just pray. Uh, you can spread up in your small groups. I don't mind if you talk or pray. You can slowly filter away as you want. This is the transition from church time to the real time. I think there's a bit of 
Oh, Defender, of course. <laughs> Can we sing Defender, team? Gary does. Tell you what, let's sing Defender, and then if you want to feel like you want to talk more, break up into smaller groups, seek out people that maybe you want to talk to, pray together, that's fine. And, um,